0: Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. For several years now, I've been helping schools implement trauma-informed strategies in their schools. Now, as students are starting to come back to school, the need for this is greater than ever. Here's the thing. I'm not a social worker, and I don't pretend to be. So my training really focuses on practical strategies that you can implement in your school without making your teachers feel like they have to be social workers also. I help schools implement trauma-informed strategies so that fewer discipline referrals, fewer dysregulated students, and a calmer, more focused atmosphere. And the best thing is, this training aligns perfectly with ESSER funding, so you don't have to take it out of your school budget. My clients report that they have better sense of how to help their students without adding another thing to their plate. Go to jethrojones.com trauma to read more about it, and let's schedule a chat. That's jethrojones.com trauma. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the program today, Angie Bush Alston. She is a teacher in Brevik Mission, which is a small Inupiaq village on the Seward Peninsula. She came to Alaska in 2005 for a one-year adventure and ended up staying. She prizes classroom and community connections and believes all teachers can open themselves to the richness and value around them. She's also the author of the book, The Transplant Teacher, which is why I'm having her on the podcast which is a book to help teachers thrive when they live and teach in new places. You can find her online at thealaskateacher.com. Well, Angie, welcome to Transformative Principal. Happy to have you.
1: All right. I am happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so let's first start talking about the transplant teacher. And the somebody may be listening to this and think, okay, if they're going to talk about somebody going someplace in Alaska or to a foreign place, this really isn't applicable to me. So let's dispel that myth first and foremost. Uh, by you talking about what the transplant teacher is and what we can learn from that.
1: All right. Well, to me, a transplant teacher is anyone who teaches in a new environment. And for me, in my story, that was leaving Idaho to go up to rural Alaska. Or for some people, it might be leaving an urban area to go to a rural area or a rural area to go to an urban area or a new state or a, a new county even it could be going to another country it could be going from an elementary school to a high school it could be you know there's like a just a infinite number of contexts out there in which teachers teach and when you move from one context to another you are a transplant teacher and there are challenges that go along with transplanting and then some strategies that i discuss in the book that can help that process go maybe a little bit smoother
0: yeah and you and i having been in remote alaska locations private commission is certainly more remote than kodiak but kodiak was still pretty remote When you're in those situations, then you have to recognize that things are different and they're not what you expected things to be like. And I think that that is a really important piece of transplanting is that no matter where you go, if it's something new to you, you're going to have your expectations adjusted and you're going to have to adjust them on the fly. And sometimes that can be really challenging for people because it's not easy to adapt to something different. So let's talk about your experience. What were some of the things that were much different that you had to adapt to very quickly?
1: Well, I when I moved up to Shishmarath in 2005, so Shishmarath is a village nearby Brevig Mission where I, I currently teach. But we, I went up there and in my head, I thought that the school and my job would be like anywhere else, just smaller and colder. And I had done my student teaching in late Utah with, you know, huge classes, um, uh, you know, 40 kids in each class period and, uh, you know, a huge parking lot full of cars and, and all of those things. And I knew that was going to be different because there are going to be less people around and the weather was going to be colder. But I kind of figured everything else would just function exactly the same. And then I get to Shish Marath and it's not and uh, what were some of the, the biggest differences? Um, one was that our schedule was constantly getting interrupted. So we, you know, I'd be going throughout the school day and have things planned out for our lesson plans. And then bam, the dentist would come to town and suddenly I'm getting kids pulled out of, you know, my class left and right to meet with the dentist, who's only going to be here for five days without a yet like you know, as many people as possible in for that. Or we're, you know, having class and bam, the health aid show up and they want to um, give the kids their fluoride treatments. And just, there was always interruptions based on what was going on in the community and what was going on at the clinic and what was going on, you know, somewhere else in the school. And that really frustrated me because I was like, no, this is the way, like, this is our schedule and we should be sticking to it. And, and, and that's that. Um, I also was really surprised that the kids didn't instantly adore me um, because I really considered myself to be a very fun person. And, you know, I was young. I was cool. Like all the kids when I was student teaching adored me. And I just kind of expected that I would show up and be like, here I am. And the, you know, the kids at Shishraf would love me instantly too. But what I didn't realize was, you know, the number of teachers that my kids had seen come in and out and come and leave and come and leave over and over that they didn't instantly love me because they didn't instantly trust me like I was just another and an endless sea of white faces. That was showing up for a great Alaska adventure, and you know who knew how long I was going to be there if I was even going to make it past Christmas break or not, and you know so when I, I stood up in on the first day of school and I you know made funny facial expressions and I tried to make jokes and talk to the kids and they just kind of stared at me that I, I was like am I am I doing something wrong like what you know what's going on it's not this instant click and really the kids in Shishmaref and then later with the kids in brevig Mission it was. I had to kind of earn their trust and their respect and just show up over and over for them and get to know them and kind of let them warm up to me. It was really more of a slow burn um, in building that relationship rather than being the instant cool teacher. Um, And initially, that was really discouraging for me, which is what led to me crying on the couch every day for 3 months like because I wasn't getting that feedback that external feedback that I was used to that I was a good teacher and that they loved me and um and that that had kind of how I that was kind of how I had measured my success as a teacher and that metric didn't work in the context of Shishmaref.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really insightful point because what it identifies is that we may think Being a good teacher looks like X or Y, but the kids who are the ones who are really impacted by our good or bad teaching have a very different impression of what good teaching looks like. And what I'm hearing you say is that good teaching is staying. Yes. And coming back day after day and not just showing up thinking this is a fun adventure, but actually saying, I care about you enough to stick around long enough for you to know that I do care about you.
1: Right. And also, I think one of the things that contributed to me eventually getting past that and connecting with my students was learning about them and their lives and being open to that. I remember in my fourth hour class that first year, just there were a lot of boys. It was like a lot, a lot of high school boys in that class and asking them questions about walrus hunting. And suddenly they were alive, like they were sharing and they were getting animated and they were talking. And even boys that usually just, you know, hung out in the back and didn't say much were like, oh, and then this and this and, and. I was asking questions and they could tell I was genuinely interested and um, they loved it. And I loved it. So that was like a really good connection moment where I was open to their world and not just like, oh, guys, we need to be talking about the states and their capitals. But like, you know, tell me about your life. What do you do? Why is it important? Do you know, are women allowed to go walrus hunting? And uh, that seemed very relevant and interesting to them. And so it, You know, it prompted them to share more and to open up to me. And the more I did that, the more I showed that interest and the more I talked with them and learned about that, the more they responded to me in those contexts. But then it also kind of opened the door for other contexts too, when we would talk about the states, the capitals, and, you know, other things.
0: Yeah. And what I love about that is that really, uh, it goes back to that old cliche that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And That that's a cliche because that it's actually true. Like everybody says it because it actually does happen that way. That you can't just show up someplace and say, "Hey, I'm here to to be your teacher, and you're gonna love me by virtue of that fact alone." You have to connect with them. You have to develop relationships, and I think that's that's just so important. One of the things that I find really fascinating is all of the stuff that we did in Alaska that that's very commonplace now like having virtual meetings, connecting with people over long distances. I mean, that's how things have to happen naturally there. And, you know, when when the dentist comes into town, like the, that's when everybody goes to the dentist. You don't go to the dentist throughout the year. You go when the dentist comes <laughs> yeah. to town and it's a different kind of approach. What other things like that have you learned about how to be flexible and adapt to to what's going on?
1: Well, I think I, I, I eventually in i don't know if i learned it all the way in my first year but i learned that you just roll with whatever is going on um there was one time that um i got a call in my classroom and they said hey there's a baby seal in a tub in the gym if you want to bring your kids over and you know how do you plan for something like that um so what we did i just i took my kids down to the gym and we looked and we took pictures and we laughed and looked at the baby seal and went back and, and then we kind of moved on with our day and you just have to hold things lightly. And when something comes up, that is, um, a, a possible disruption, sometimes it's worse to fight it. Like if I had said, no, we're not going to go down and, and see the, the seal in the tub that like if my kids had gotten wind from another class or something that there was a seal, how could we're not going, why don't we just go, I want to see the seal in the tub. And then we would have just. Like my lesson would have been shot anyway. So instead we just went, we had a good experience. We talked about it and then we came back and then we, you know, moved on. And so I think just moving on with those, you know, dealing with those things and moving is one thing. And then also learning how to sense if kids are really interested in something or really bothered by something or really worried about something like that is often the direction your lesson needs to head. Um, and I've had some really good class discussions about really important topics because, you know, that were started by something that happened in the community. And then one of the kids would ask a question in the class um, and then we, we could talk about it and explore it together. And then the classroom becomes like a really safe um, environment to discuss some things that they're thinking. And those can be pretty powerful experiences. I recently had a discussion with some high school girls. I was a class that just all happened to be girls and it veered in a completely different direction than I started it in but I believe that was what they needed in that moment. And what made that moment possible was the relationship I built with those girls. And I kind of have it easy, I think, in rural Alaska, like I have the same kids year after year after year. And so, you know, some of the kids, the seniors who graduated a couple of years ago, I'd had them in my class since sixth grade. Um, and so, you know, that's a lot of years to see kids and to interact with kids and to get to know kids um, and so, you know, I definitely know them better than a teacher who, you know, gets a, some students for a semester and then never sees them again. So that is, you know, that's like a benefit that that I have. But I also believe it is possible to connect with kids, even if you don't see them for seven years in a row.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think part of what you're saying there is going back to the first point of being flexible as things come up and letting those things guide what you're doing that's going to work in every school system out there because it's it's being adaptive to what the students are interested in what they need and so I remember one time in Kodiak there was a big huge uh wind advisory where the wind was going to get like 50 miles per hour and that that wasn't too atypical but there were going to be gusts up to like 80 or 90 miles an hour and yeah. so we were like okay, this is this is a pretty big deal. And so our librarian at the time was an awesome guy and he got the wind map that shows how fast mm-hmm. the wind is blowing in different parts of the world. And he put it up on the screen and you could see the storm approaching the island and how it was causing the wind to move fast. I mean, I spent almost all day up there just looking at it, <laughs> talking with kids about it. But like kids were constantly coming in and there all day long, just looking at it, trying to understand how big this was for for a little community, you know, out there on an island. And, you know, thankfully Kodiak was built so that they could withstand high winds and we didn't lose power or anything like that. We did lose some power. We had a tree fall on my house when I lived there. So that was that was kind of unfortunate. But you know, it was fine. With nobody was hurt and it was it was okay. But but being able to talk about and experience those things was was a really powerful thing for us all to do. And and you build Um, camaraderie you build support you build community through those types of things Mm -hmm. and then to your second point of of being able to see those kids for a long time in every situation where there are teachers there's turnover right and so Mm -hmm. being able to be that person that's still there over time in some places it's less intense than in others but certainly in in urban schools and in rural schools in Alaska there's Definitely a challenge with that and being able to stick around and be that person that's still there over time is a really powerful thing for, for your kids and for you to be able to build those relationships. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I really believe one of the reasons, well, like kind of a two-prong reason I wrote the book is that I love my community. I love Revic Mission. And I think that the kids in Revic Mission and the people of Revic Mission deserve to have mm-hmm. good teachers that stick around and that are effective and happy. And at the same time, I think teachers deserve to be happy and deserve to be connected to their communities and to feel effective at their jobs and satisfied in their work. And I think it's all possible. I think most people can do that in most settings if they reach out and they connect with the people around them, but they also look inward and they examine their own expectations and they examine their uh, their desires and how they might shift their mindsets to adjust to their new environments. And when they do that, they can be successful transplant teachers.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of strategies that you suggest that people adopt. And we've talked about them broadly here, but let's get more mm-hmm. specific. What are a couple of things people should be doing?
1: One of my favorite strategies in the book is Get involved, try things, and participate. And wherever you live as a teacher in the community, in the school community, but also in the wider community, there's going to be, you know, a number of opportunities to just try new things. Um, in Shishraf and Brevig Mission, for me, it was Anupiak dancing and eating f- fermented walrus flipper And sewing a cuspuck, and anytime there, like anybody invited me to try something, I was like, "Yes, I'll do it," even if it was something I never would have done in previous lives. Like, I've really, I've never been a, a person to work out or a gym rat or anything. But a couple ladies were like, "Do you want to do aerobics with us on you know Wednesday nights?" And I was like, "Sure, let's do it." So I just started showing up and doing that, and I got to know people that way. Or um, if people are like, hey, I have some berries, you want to come try them? Yes, absolutely, I'll come try that. And like every single opportunity, I just jumped at. And what's cool about doing that is that though that begets more opportunities. Because when people see that you show up for one thing, then they think of you maybe for another thing. And even if you don't get invited, I know I like to sing. And I in Shishmaraf, one of the kind of traditions is when uh, someone dies, the community will gather at their home and sing for the the nights in between the death and the funeral. They'll sing like gospel songs, and, and I kind of wanted to sh- to go. And I like singing, and I like community, and I wanted to like support the family, but. I was, I was shy to show up unannounced to like, you know, on my own. So I just mentioned to one of my friends that, you know, I was starting to build a relationship with, I was like, Hey, you know, if you ever go singing, we, we call me and let me know. And, and she said, yeah, so she did. And I I went with her and then after I'd been the first time, it was a lot easier to go the next time, you know, by myself, like it, it kind of broke the ice with me showing up with her. And so I just tried everything. And anytime there was like a community activity, uh, if I saw a flyer at the post office, I showed up. Anytime the school was doing any sort of thing after hours, I was there, even if it wasn't my grade level. And um, that just got me out, um, out in the community, out with a new group of people. People saw me over and over. They would be like, oh, what's that lady's name? And so I became a familiar face. And then that became kind of a basis for building, you know, relationships from there. It can be kind of scary and intimidating uh, when it's things that like I, you know, don't have any experience doing. And so, you know, there have been like little embarrassments and, you know, minor humiliations and stuff, but the price that paying that price has been worth it to be able to make the connections and have the, you know, like the experiences that I've had. So that's one of my one thing I'd say I, for, to any transplant teacher in any setting, just get out and try as many things as you can and be as many places as you can wherever you are.
0: And the other thing that really helps with that is that it really does build people's confidence in you as a human being. And they they say, hey, she was willing to try that. We should we should give her a chance and 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 maybe like let her a little bit more into our lives because she's willing to to try these new things. So I think that's that's a great piece of advice. What's another one?
1: OK, another one that kind of goes along with it is to make connections a little at a time like you can't expect to show up to a nuuk dance practice and then like leave with like three new best friends like that doesn't happen the relationships just like anywhere else are built a little bit by little bit. And it can start as really simple as like at a staff meeting, sitting by someone new, like one of the people who works at the school that grew up in your community. Um, And then just trying to make small talk like, so, gee, uh, you know, is it always this warm in October or, you know, what kind of gloves should I get for the winter or just all, you know, trying to sit by somebody new every time. Or I, one of my strategies was that, that I would use it. Like I'd go to like a community event and I kind of look for an open seat and look for a friendly face and just sit down and be like, so who uh, is the seat taken? And usually they'd say no. And they'd like, so who are you related to here? And then that gets people talking. They're like, oh, well, there's my daughter and these are my grandkids. And that's my sister over there. And then you start to get a sense of how everyone's connected. Like once, you know, if that was a good experience, then the next time I came, I might look for that same familiar face. And, you know, kind of start to not like follow them in a stalkerish sort of creepy way, but, you know, like, like elevate our level of conversation so that we become friends. And that happens. And then uh, I also a good way to do that in Rev at least is like by visiting. It's really normal for people just to drop by like and uh, a lot of people you know, drink coffee, you come in and they're like, oh, do you want coffee? And I'm not a coffee drinker. So I would say no, but I just sit on their couch and we, you know, chat. And sometimes the TV is on and we'll talk about what's on the TV. And people would ask about my family and I tell them, you know, where I was from. And then, you know, and then I would do that again, you know, come and visit them again in a couple of weeks and do a, you know, just a, a few more times. And then that really, Um, People get more comfortable with you and then they start thinking of you and they might, hey, do you want to go berry picking with us? And they, you know, it just like grows from there. So being willing to make those connections over and over a little bit at a time, I think is very powerful, Um, both with like your colleagues that you're working with, but also then like the community members out, you know, outside of the school too. And I have been really really blessed by people in shish Braf and brab ignition who've become really good friends and and that makes me happier like as a teacher and as a human being and i think that like happier teachers are better teachers uh, like they just really are and it's a and little it's,
0: secret you know yeah, you're not like, going to get anywhere else happier teachers are better teachers so let me let me ask you a question, Angie. You're obviously a very outgoing person. You like meeting new people, doing new things. What about for someone who's a little less extroverted and more shy and and not quite ready to do those things? What's a strategy they could implement to be ingratiated into the community?
1: Here's what I would say to them is they need to look for an ally. And I mentioned allies in the book. And an ally is someone who can kind of be your guide into the community. And so a good place to like in my school, a good place to find an ally would be somebody who works at the school. So like they, they were raised in the community, they work at the school, and they can kind of become your connection. So you would like start with them, like that one person, and maybe visit just them and their family and start kind. Kind of in a small, you know, like way. And then you could ask them, hey, what would be a good who would be a good person to ask about sewing? Or where would I go if I wanted to watch someone carve? Um, and or could I follow you to the feast? Uh, you know, for Thanksgiving. And then it becomes, you get to go with somebody. So you're not thrown into the situation where there's hundreds of people around you that you don't know. And you're trying to look for a place to stay, but you have like your ally with you. There's also, I I don't think you can underestimate the importance of just the one-on-one kind of individual visiting. So like if the big community events, aren't always your scene, just stopping by someone's house and visiting one-on-one is, is, uh, you know, is a great way to get to know people. And it can help to feel like you have a reason to visit them. So you could like take a, say one of your students made a piece of art, you walk over to that house and you say, Hey, I wanted to deliver this painting that, you know, your daughter, your daughter made. I just thought she did a great job and thought you might want to hang it on their, their refrigerator. So that's like your reason for getting in the house And then, you know, maybe you can have a little conversation after. Food is always kind of the universal way. Hey, I I made some cookies or I baked bread or I whatever I wanted to stop by and bring it. Or, hey, I I printed a copy of the school calendar. I wasn't sure if you had one. Um, So here you go. I thought I'd bring it by. And, you know, anything like that where you give yourself a purpose so that maybe the beginning is a little less awkward. And then if really all it is, is like a minute and a half of talking about the calendar and then you leave, that's not a wasted effort. That's still part of making a connection, uh, you know, a little bit at a time. Uh, And that, you know, and that's valuable too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think those are good. And I think, you know, my wife is much more introverted than I am. I'm totally comfortable walking into a room with a hundred people and finding a new friend to sit by, that's not a challenge to me at all, but that is a challenge for my wife. And so that tip about having a guide or an ally to help out, I think is really important. That goes a long way. And it's hard for someone who's introverted to find that person, but Mm -hmm. spend your time finding that person and then you'll, you'll be in in good shape there. Um, So my last question, Angie, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you?
1: I think that a principal can help foster connections among staff members and connections between their staff and the community. One of the most brilliant, beautiful things I've seen a principal do that I've worked with is in Brevig we would have these like circle times as part of our staff member. And she had divided us into groups where there were people who were raised in Brevig Mission and then people who weren't. And then she provided a prompt. um, And it was usually related to something that was going on in the community. Like if there had been a recent death one time, the prompt was, what are grieving and funeral traditions in Brevig Mission? And so we got in our little circles and the people from Brevig Mission got a chance to tell us, well, usually we do this and then we do this before the funeral. And at the funeral, we do this and this and then this happens. And then the job for those of us who weren't raised in Brevignation was to like, sit down and shut up, you know, and, and just listen and to learn and to realize that things in Brevign are, you know, mourning in Brevign in that particular instance is probably different than mourning in, you know, wherever we grew up. And so those kind of circles fostered connection both among us as staff members because we got to listen and learn and ask questions and learn but it also kind of connected us out to the community because we were better prepared to know how to go to a funeral um and you know where to sit oh don't sit in the first three rows because that's where the family sits and um, if you just want to go to the graveside service this is what you do and that was I just really admired our principal for doing that. And anytime a principal can do things that make staff members connected to each other or the staff connected to the community, I think you have a stronger, just a, a stronger staff and, uh, you know, a stronger chance for impact on your students.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, thank you very much for being here. I want to remind everybody, the book um, is available at com, and um, it is called The Transplant Teacher. And then people can follow you on Twitter at Alaska Teacher. And Angie, thanks for being part of Transformative Principal today.
1: All right. Thanks, Jethro.
0: Hey, middle school principals. What if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play in control sel is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love and that's because it's easy and it looks just like a netflix or a youtube show so all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call tell us jethro sent you and you'll get 20 percent off if you feel like it's a good fit so go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today the link will be in the show notes